Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. We are talking about helping children deal with grief and loss, and our second guest is Robert Zucker. Robert Zucker is a grief counselor, writer, consultant, teacher, and public speaker. Although there is no denying that loss is a sad and serious topic, Robert believes it can be approached with enthusiasm and humor. His latest book is The Journey Through Grief and Loss, Helping Yourself and Your Child When Grief is Shared. Welcome to the show, Rob, and welcome back, Gloria. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks, Heidi. Well, Rob, it's great to talk to you again. You were at uh, ADAC with us, and we actually uh, videotaped Rob for our YouTube. Unfortunately, I was just telling him that we have had our hard drive crash, so we're having to redo all that. But we'll start getting YouTubes up again soon. And, and Rob's going to be our next YouTube, and the minute, as soon as it's up, I will post it on Facebook with the link. Oh, good. All right. So, Rob, uh, first of all, start out by telling us what got you in the field of grief and loss. Well, you know, uh, I think it's a, a, a whole variety of things. Uh, something we, we, you and I talked about um, uh, for the YouTube interview was of my personal experiences of loss in my family, and actually historically in my family, uh, growing up in the household with my with my parents and my siblings, but also my grandmother, uh, who had um, really suffered a whole range of losses, including uh, deaths of two of her children. But they were always kept secret. These deaths were, were not something ever discussed in my family. But over the years, um, the, the information on, on these deaths has, has have, uh, really clarified. And really, uh, I think, I think um, probably more or less unconsciously uh, led me into the field. And my dad died when I was 23 years old, which really kind of mm-hmm. brought a lot of grief, certainly into my life, and, and uh, really kind of, I think, informed the direction I took in terms of my career. But interestingly, you know, I, my, my grandmother, who suffered the death of uh, two children, um, I, I was aware of one of the deaths um, because I, when I went to the cemetery as a teenager with my uncle and cousins and my grandmother, I saw my grandmother mourning over another, another gravesite than the one I expected to see, which was with my grandfather. But I only very recently learned that there was another child, and only through a um, a uh, family tree that was being spread around members of my family, and I I saw another name, another child, in addition to the one that I was aware of. So I know very little information about about that child, other than other than that her name was Rose. And that's your aunt, right? That would be. That would have been my aunt. Yeah, yeah Aunt Rose. Yeah. 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 So there's a Pauline and there's a Rose, and and I don't know anything about them other than. Uh, Went a little bit more about Pauline, uh, but now now I want to find out more about Rose. Uh, very very interesting how these things come up in our in our lives and and reemerge with other losses also. Yeah. Well, this is uh, now you've written more than one book, right? No, this is actually my first book. Oh, it is your first I, I've book. I've written uh, shorter pieces for Care Notes, for Abbey Press Care Notes. Oh. Uh, but this I never and I've written articles and you know some some journal pieces, but. Uh, it's my, my first one, my first baby book. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an, an amazing book with a huge amount of references and a lot of ideas. So I wanted to get right into it with you because I feel like that you can really help our audience out there because I know that there are some things that they want to talk about there 
their kids. And one of the ones that comes up when Adi and I present constantly is, the question comes up constantly, not the presenting constantly, but what are the signs that my child needs professional help? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think that um, it, it's an important question because, uh, first of all, there's a tendency on the part of many adults to assume that children are just resilient and, they're, and not to be concerned, and they don't really need to know about death or what happened or about grief. Uh, and, As you found out. Yes. That's my personal experience, right? So I think, and a lot of I think a lot of kids grow up in families where their grief is ignored, and uh, with that as a backdrop, it's important for first of all for parents to begin to understand well how how children do grieve and how their grief sometimes doesn't look like what they expect grief to look like, and how to what to what to what to kind of consider to be a normal kind of grief response among kids of different of varying ages, developmental factors will come into play certainly. But but then also, as you're suggesting, how to identify what might be red flags. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that um, there are, there certainly are, there are high, things to be more more concerned about that might lead a parent to think about getting a consult with a, with a child uh, grief specialist. Uh, okay, so I've got a child who's seven years old. What does normal grief look like? For a seven-year-old? Uh, there is the child is starting to understand uh, issues such as uh, when someone dies, they don't come back. The notion of irreversibility. They're beginning to understand that when someone dies, that it means that their body totally stopped working. So those are some some uh, foundational concepts that they're just beginning to get, but not fully. You know, they're just they're grasping at these concepts, and they're they're be, they'll be asking a lot of questions. So. Uh, Kids, kids, a seven-year-old might take a while to really understand the notion that mommy or daddy or a sibling or a family friend or another relative is is uh, being dead means that we're not going to see them again, and uh, they, they will be confused often and have persistent questions that kind of bring the adult back to the realization that these concepts aren't yet completely formulated. So I uh, got an email from Rose, and she uh, emailed me and said that her uh, daughter died, and she has partial custody for her six-year-old, and the six-year-old keeps asking where <clears throat> where her mother is. What does Rose do with that? Where is mommy? Is that okay? I mean, does she need <clears throat> to get her a therapist? What's your thought? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, a kind of almost, it's a very normal question, and mm-hmm. what it suggests to me is that maybe... We, uh, the, the guard is a parent. I, well, I didn't catch it. Was it a parent or guardian? That's a grandmother. A grandmother. Her daughter died. She has partial custody oh, okay. with the father. The grandmother may need to step back and begin to explain some some fundamental concepts, such as mommy died. That means her body totally stopped working. And I like that when you said that in the book. The, the, it's a wonderful way to explain it that your body stopped working. Yeah, but then also there is a discussion about what happens to mommy's body because right. where is mommy? Is you know is going to be the question. Okay, mommy died. Her body stopped working. But where is mommy? Mm-hmm. And we can talk about to a, to a child uh, that that being dead means that there's something that leaves the body. We can talk about in the spiritual context if that's what your belief is. It's a soul or a spirit that has left mommy's body. But mommy's body uh, may be in a funeral home, may be have been cremated, uh, may have been buried. Uh, there are various things that people do with, with bodies, and we do them 
uh, with deep respect and, and appreciation for the the importance of this this very of this body of someone we love very much. But there's a, there's an important teaching for children, even young children, to learn that there's something that happens, which means their body stops working, and her body is very sacred and honored in a ritual that our, that our family practices, and we can begin to explain that ritual. Now, this is really tough to do because, in this case, Grandma is also deeply bereft. Right. And I, to begin I to also talk think about it's important for children to know, Robin, I'm sure yeah. you've, you've, you've said this too, I think it's important for children to know that if, if you know, given if Mommy's buried, that she's not cold, she's yes. not hungry, she's in a, she's safe. I mean, that she's dead. Because yes. I think children get terrified that some that you know people are hungry and cold, etc. Yes. So I think when we're talking about uh, that, mommy's body totally stopped working. Especially for younger children, we need to go further and say that means that she doesn't feel anything anymore. Mm-hmm. She can't be hot or cold. Even when it gets cold, if her body's going to be buried, even in the winter time. There's no, she wouldn't feel cold in, under the ground because her body totally stopped working. She can't have feelings. She can't be scared or any kind of feelings, you know, any kind of emotional feelings. She doesn't breathe. Her heart doesn't beat. Uh, and she doesn't have to go to the bathroom. You know, very basic information. Mm-hmm. That, that, that this is an event that really changes how we knew mommy. And that this body now no longer holds the, the it holds how we saw mommy, the, the, the shell, or the, we can do the butterfly analogy, the, the butterfly flies from the cocoon. The cocoon was, is like mommy's body, it's left behind. But, but this, the, what we remember most about mommy is the love that we felt for her. And that still, we may believe, and if we believe this, we would share this with kids, that still is alive, that love is still alive with us. We might feel it in a different way than we did before. So that kind of, expression of the physical reality of death might help a child begin to consider, well, where is mommy? They might begin to say, mommy is, 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 is somewhere inside of me. Mommy is, a, is someone I love still. I like that, that butterfly concept. That's a, a great idea for Rose. Well, thank you, Rose, for your email, and uh, good luck with your grandchild. I think it's great that you're reaching out, and I would yes. suggest that you get Rob's book, <clears throat> The Journey Through Grief and Loss, Helping Your Children helping yourself and your children when grief is shared. There's a huge amount of information and there's a lot of information on what normal and, and grief is and what it looks like if it's not um, so normal. I you wanted want, you to want, talk a little bit about, before we go to break, about yes. being an advocate for your child. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that's such an important part of the role of any parent is to advocate for a child. And part of that involves when there's been a death in the family, uh, informing the adults within the child's life outside of the family, maybe the school personnel, uh, may, may, may be uh, people in your church or synagogue or mosque, whatever, whatever religious organization you may be part of, but uh, coach that your child might be participating in the team with, uh, invi- informing people in all these various areas of what has happened so that there is a community that holds this child as a child in need, a child who may be suffering, and it's very difficult for a lot of kids to speak aloud and explain what happened. So very often it's a great gift of advocacy to inform people, let them let them know, so the child is really going to be identified as as having, in a way we might say, a special need. And also, if you uh, have trouble advocating yourself, if you're subbereft at this time that you can't do it, ask someone else to do it for you. Have uh, an, a relative or a friend go to the school and talk to the school or have your minister. Let people know, you know, what's going on. They can only help if they know. 
Absolutely. And, you know, it may be a grandparent that died in another state. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it, sometimes it, it, we just we just go with the hardcore, you know, brother or sister or something. We don't think about these other losses. Even, a, you know, the death of an animal, you might go and say the dog just got killed or whatever. Absolutely, because that's going to affect the child's, uh, child's presentation at school or wherever. You know, you know and we, we don't want to minimize the deaths of pets. They're very significant in many families' lives. Absolutely. An ex- unexplainable visits from the dead, which you call it in your book. And I would recommend that people, by the way, get your book. And could you tell them how to get it? Yeah, it's available now in, in bookstores uh, all over the country. Or if they don't have it, you can ask for it and they'll order it. It's also available through Amazon and other online sources. Okay, great. And Robert uh, writes for us, so you'll be able to read some of his writing. As I said, we're getting a new website up, and if you can't link onto it, I'm not sure what's going on with the website on a day-to-day basis, but by Monday we should have our site up, and it's going to be uh, really very nice. Great. So, Robert, talk a little bit about um, these signs, because I know that a lot of us um, have had signs and dreams and some people visitations or whatever in their life. And um, what about these? Well, I was introduced to them in my own grief after my father died. I felt his presence in all sorts of ways that surprised me, ways that seemed kind of magical and unexplainable. So that, um, and I think in a way, given that I work with people who are grieving, it helped me to have had a personal experience so that I was not judgmental of others. So that I find almost, almost uh, well, not 100%, but so many people with whom I've worked over the years have have had uh, some sort of unexplainable event, a feeling, a sense of presence through an animal, a random animal that comes into the yard and they feel that some of that animal represents their loved one, uh, a dream where they feel the presence of, of the person or the person speaks to them. And, you know, I've had my dad speak to me in a dream that really meant so much to me. I've had uh, a time when my father uh, sent me a message through a book we both had read. I love it. I love it, Rob. My mom and I were just talking about it, the Herman Hess book. Yes. Where you happened to open the, the book randomly and it said, I am leaving you now. You must go the rest of the way by yourself. Yeah. It was this one. Of the, it was right after my dad had died. It was the night after we buried him. And I was 23 years old and I was stunned and I was just absolutely alone. I was alone at night. Everyone else had gone to bed. And I just found myself walking up to the bookshelf and picking out this book, Knope, by Herman Hess, the book that I had, oh, just before my dad had, had died, I had lent it to him and he had read it. I, li- I liked him, Herman Hess's reading books very much, and I wanted to share it with him. And I just found myself just opening up the book to that page, and I'm leaving you now. You must feel, you must feel the rest of the way by yourself, mm-hmm. was what I kept reading. And I, and I put the book back, and I kept the, the, the words kept just going over and over again in my mind until I realized that this was something that Dad had done for me, you know. And there was something comforting in his message because I must go the rest of the way by myself. Yes, he was with me. Right. And what about if a child has these kind of experiences? Well, children have them very often. In fact, children mm-hmm. are much more open to them than, than adults. There's a kind of a, some people say they have a doorway to the spiritual world that adults don't have any longer. So they'll talk about seeing a loved one. Uh, they'll talk about receiving information or messages. So what we want to do is be listening for that and to, and to be and be interested and not never mock it, but be interested and honor it and normalize it. And my, my and, and son, listen. who's 11, sees his grandfather all the time, and he'll point to where he sees him, and I, there's nothing there, right. but he's absolutely adamant that he's there. 
So, and that that's his reality is that he's, he sees them all the time. Yeah, and we, those are some of the things that we can't, we can't explain it. There's not a, we can't be scientific about it. But we know that many, many kids and many adults have these experiences. So what I say is let's, let's try to learn from them. Let's see what, what we can gain from the experiences. That's great. I, I think one thing that you don't want to do is say, oh, uh, you know, Aunt Joan, listen to what happened to little Robbie. You know, when you start passing it around, I find that kids don't like that very much. They, they want to have this experience oh. to be tell you, but they don't want to yes. be asked to tell the world. Of course, it's sacred, and there's right. great privacy in that. That's and such it, a good point. It is sacred to those children. Could you talk a little bit <clears throat> about parents' grief? You know, I was grieving so, you know, tremendously when Scott was killed. I'll have to say, it's been 26 years, I, I don't think I was a particularly good parent a lot of the time because, you know, really, my own grief really interfered with my ability to help uh, my daughter, Heather, and Heidi and Rebecca. Yeah, you know, um, it's not unusual for a child to say, perhaps in the aftermath as they reflect on those years that the family was grieving together after a sibling died, that they lost their sibling but also feel that they lost their parents. Mm-hmm. And the parent, not just the, certainly the bereaved parent, but other bereaved adults, whether it's a, a child that died or some other member of the family or a dear person to, the, to that particular adult, the, often the adult is really not very capable of uh, attending to the needs of their children. That's really what motivated me to write the book because I wanted to create an opportunity for for adults to learn about self-care and learn about caring for for their own grieving selves. And by doing so, they will become more empowered to tune into their children. It's It's really to hold the grieving adult and really nurture that grief with information and support and tools so that they won't be as disempowered and they'll be able to be present and walk hand in hand with their kids. That's, that's, the, that's the idea. So one way that, that parents can be more prepared for this tremendous challenge of grieving themselves and supporting their kids is for them to really have a sense or a template of what their grief will, will, might look like and what are things to expect on their own journey. Because I think it's really hard for the adult to simply set their, their own grief aside and be able to under, learn now about childhood and adolescent grief. Right, and that's why your book is great because it's so accessible. I mean, you have you have writing in there, but you also have points one, two, three. Um, you know, on as you go along in the book, to embedded in the chapters. It's very nice, mm-hmm. the, nicely done the way you do it. Thank you. And sometimes kids, it's normal for kids to regress after a loss and become very needy, and they need parents just at the point where parents don't have that, you know, the emotional availability for them. Yes. Now, I like some of your ideas you have. One of them I particularly liked was preparing a commemorative meal. Ah, yes, and my my cousin Anselm uh, is really what who inspired me. Uh, Anselm uh, was a brilliant musician and a very sweet man, young man who died of AIDS cousin of mine, and he left very specific instructions to one of my other cousins, uh, my cousin Carol, to to prepare a meal for the family after he died. And, <laughs> I love and it. It was very specific, and he had actually written out on, as I recall, three by five cards, an explanation of why each dish was being presented on this big spread. So uh, the, each, each particular food item that he told Carol to prepare had a story attached to it. So as we, we entered the room for the reception, uh, we encountered this table, and we all walked in, and 
Then we had our plate. It was a buffet kind of thing. But there was a message from Anselm every step of the way and a story uh, that, of, of, of important memories that he wanted to share. What a fabulous idea. It is. I've it never was, heard that before. I love it. It was beautiful. And I found that, you know, I've done grief groups over the years. We almost always have some kind of meal, uh, meal activity. We'll have, like, uh, bringing in your loved one's favorite food. And, and there's always stories attached to it. So people will have a story and they'll pass around a bag of chips or, or whatever it might be. You know? I mean, you and, could even prepare a dish that says, I actually hated this dish. Now you will eat it. <laughs> you know, funny, food, funny exactly. thing. <laughs> and kids could help do that. Oh, yeah. 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 What a wonderful family activity, you know, to, to prepare things and have kids make the suggestions on, on what you should have. Yes, because it's honoring their memories of the person that died. And then you've got other rituals that are great, like uh, creative family mural. Can you talk about that? A family mural, yeah. Um, well, I, I, I tell the story in the book of a of a man who contacted me. He and his wife contacted me before he before his death, uh, obviously, but he was dying imminently. Uh, he was lung cancer, as I recall. And he said he, he really said we need to have some family meetings before his death. And his kids had been told that he died, but they really hadn't quite, quite, he seems pretty healthy at that point, so they didn't really quite get it. They were school-age kids. They were, I, think they were, I think they were four sons they had, as I recall. But in any event, uh, I thought about suggesting when we gathered as a family, they make a mural about to kind of describe who they are as a family at this point in their lives. And the kids and the mom and dad went right to work, and they were very, very enthusiastic about it. And they, they presented. Did they, they get they, a big cardboard? Big, or what did they it was a big piece of uh, poster board. Okay. And they, and we had lots of art supplies, and we just sat around. They began to draw their family, and they were real sports nuts. So every, all the kids were into different sports activities. They draw them doing their particular, particular sport. And the mom was the coach. She had a big whistle around her neck, and they, she was kind of, kind of um, in the center of the circle of the of the other of the boys. And they didn't include their dad. So um, at one point, I commented, "You know, where where's dad belong here?" He was he was there, but he was kind of a little step, little stepping away a little bit from the activity. And they thought a moment, and then they decided they would draw a trampoline in the, on the on the picture, and they would show dad leaping, having leapt up in the air. And he was drawn, hovering over the family, really oh, nice. uh, almost angel-like. And it was really metaphorical. They weren't talking about dad, you know, going up to heaven, but they were kind of, that's how they presented dad and that kind of transition that he really was trying to tell them about. Well, thank you, uh, Rob, for being on the show. Do you have, uh, and your book is fabulous. I would highly recommend it to everybody. Mm-hmm. It's just filled with wonderful information. And I've got a question. Do you have one thing that you'd like to tell people before we close the show? Yeah, I'd say... Um, if you're grieving along with your child, be patient with yourself, honor your grief, learn to respect your style, and as you begin to learn about yourself, you'll be more available to, uh, to understand your child's grief and learn some things that might really help you as a parent. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Rob. You're welcome. Thanks, Rob. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com. Honor it and normalize it. And, my my and son, listen. who's 11, sees his grandfather all the time. 
and he'll point to where he sees them, and I, there's nothing there. Right. But he's absolutely adamant that he's there. So, and that that's his reality is that he's, he sees them all the time. Yeah, and we, those are some of the things that we can't, we can't explain it. There's not a, we can't be scientific about it. But we know that many, many kids and many adults have these experiences. So what I say is let's, let's try to learn from them. Let's see what, what we can gain from the experiences. That's great. I, I think one thing that you don't want to do is say, oh, uh, you know, Aunt Joan, listen to what happened to little Robbie. You know, when you start passing it around, I find that kids don't like that very much. They they want to have this experience. Oh. They tell you, but they don't want to yes. be asked to tell the world. Because it's sacred. And there's right. great privacy in that. That's and such it, a good point. It is sacred to those children. Could you talk a little bit <clears throat> about parents' grief? You know, I was grieving so, you know, tremendously when Scott was killed. I'll have to say, it's been 26 years, I, I don't think I was a particularly good parent a lot of the time because, you know, really, my own grief really interfered with my ability to help uh, my daughter, Heather, and Heidi and Rebecca. Yeah, you know, um, it's not unusual for a child to say, perhaps in the aftermath as they reflect on those years that the family was grieving together after a sibling died, that they lost their sibling but also feel that they lost their parents. Mm-hmm. And the parent, not just the, certainly the bereaved parent, but other bereaved adults, whether it's a, a child that died or some other member of the family or a dear person to, the, to that particular adult, the, often the adult is really not very capable of uh, attending to the needs of their children. That's really what motivated me to write the book because I wanted to create an opportunity for, for adults to learn about self-care and learn about caring for, for their own grieving selves. And by doing so, they will become more empowered to tune into their children. It's really, it's really to hold the grieving adult and really nurture that grief with information and support and tools so that they won't be as disempowered and they'll be able to be present and walk hand-in-hand hand with their kids. That's, that's, the, that's the idea. So one way that, that parents can be more prepared for this tremendous challenge of grieving themselves and supporting their kids is for them to really have a sense or a template of what their grief will, will might look like and what are things to expect on their own journey because I think it's really hard for the adult to simply set their, their own grief aside and be able to under, learn now about childhood and adolescent grief. Right, and that's why your book is great because it's so accessible. I mean, you have you have writing in there, but you also have points, one, two, three, um, you know, on as you go along in the book to embedded in the chapters. It's very nice, mm-hmm. nicely done the way you do it. Thank you. And sometimes kids, it's normal for kids to regress after a loss and become very needy, and they need parents just at the point where parents don't have that, you know, the emotional availability for them. Yes. Now, I like some of your ideas you have. One of them I particularly liked was preparing a commemorative meal. Ah, yes, my, my cousin Anselm uh, is really what who inspired me. Uh, Anselm uh, was a brilliant musician and a very sweet man, young man who died of AIDS, cousin of mine. And he left very specific instructions to one of my other cousins, uh, my cousin Carol, 
to to prepare a meal for the family after he died. And, <laughs> I love and it. It was very specific, and he had actually written out on, as I recall, three by five cards, an explanation of why each dish was being presented on this big spread. So uh, the, each each particular food item that he told Carol to prepare had a story attached to it. So as we we entered the room for the reception, uh, we encountered this table, and we all walked in, and then we had our plates. It was a buffet kind of thing, but there was a message from Anselm every step of the way, and a story uh, that of, of of important memories that he wanted to share. What a fabulous idea! It is. I've it never was, heard that before. I love it. It was beautiful, and I found that you know I've, I've done grief groups over the years. We almost always have some kind of meal. Uh, meal activity. They'll have like uh, bringing in your loved one's favorite food, and and there's always stories attached to it. So people will have a story and they'll pass around a bag of chips or or whatever it might be. You know? I mean, you and, could and even prepare a dish that said, "I actually hated this dish. Now you will eat it." And chips could help do that. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. What a wonderful family activity, you know, to to prepare things and have kids make the suggestions on on what you should have. Yes, because it's honoring their memories of the person that died. And then you've got other rituals that are great, like a creative family mural. Can you talk about that? A family mural, yeah. Um, well, I I I tell the story in the book of a of a man who contacted me, he and his wife contacted me before he before his death, uh, obviously, but he was dying imminently, uh, with lung cancer, as I recall, and he said he, he realized that we need to have some family meetings before his death, and his kids had been told that he died, but they really hadn't quite, quite, he seemed pretty healthy at that point, so they didn't really quite get it. They were school-age kids, they were, I, think they were, I think they were four sons they had, as I recall. In any event, uh, I thought about suggesting when we gathered as a family, they make a mural about to kind of describe who they are as a family at this point in their lives. And the kids and the mom and dad went right to work, and they were very, very enthusiastic about it. They, they presented. Did they, they get they, a big cardboard, or what did they put? It was a big piece of uh, poster board. Okay. And they, and we had lots of art supplies, and we just sat around. And they began to draw their family, and they were real sports nuts. So every, all the kids were into different sports activities. They draw them doing their particular, particular, particular sport. And the mom was the coach. She had a big whistle around her neck, and they, she was kind of, kind of um, in the center of the circle of the of the other of the boys. And they didn't include their dad. So um, at one point, I commented, you know, where where's dad belong here? He was he was there, but he was kind of little step, little stepping away a little bit from the activity. And they thought a moment, and then. They decided they would draw a trampoline in the, on the on the picture, and they would show Dad leaping, having leapt up in the air, and he was drawn hovering over the family, oh, really nice. uh, almost angel-like. And it was really metaphorical. They weren't talking about Dad, you know, going up to heaven, but they 